0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Naomi, did you know that you're going to be a hero today? Hero of the day. (laughs) So you can tell everybody I'm a hero. Okay?
1: That's a healthcare worker at Cincinnati Children's Hospital speaking with seven-year-old Naomi. She's one of thousands of children now enrolled in a COVID-19 vaccine trial for kids. One, two, three,
0: stick. See? Okay. See? All right. All done. There we go. See? Good what job. Do you
1: think Naomi received her first vaccine dose at the end of March, as part of a Pfizer trial for children. Even though several COVID-19 vaccines have received emergency use authorization for adults, the Moderna and the Johnson & Johnson vaccines are only available to Americans aged 18 and up, and for the Pfizer vaccine, 16 and up. So Naomi's participation in this trial is going to help pharmaceutical companies determine how much protection the vaccines offer to kids under 16, and also what the right dose might be for younger patients. As Naomi puts it, it's a chance for her to help others.
0: To protect all the ones I love, my classmates, my teacher, and my family. Naomi, after seeing um, a friend of our family um, participate in the study, said that she wanted to do it. And she's been consistent ever since that time.
1: That's Naomi's mom, Lori.
0: It just warms my heart that she was willing to be one of the first to do this, to really take a stand, to show other kids that they can be safe, that this can happen, and that, you know, I just, I'm just so proud of her.
1: <laughs> Several trials like these are already underway. In fact, since July, Pfizer and BioNTech have been studying their vaccine in kids and teens. That's ages 12 to 17. Moderna began similar trials back in December. And just a few weeks ago, those same companies launched new trials in even younger children. That means between the ages of 6 months to 11 years. To talk about what this all means for children and their parents, I invited back a familiar friend of the podcast, Dr. Richard Besser. He's the former acting director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and he's currently the president and CEO of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. That's an organization devoted to improving the nation's health. He's a pediatrician, so he's been following these vaccine trials very closely. On today's episode, we talk about how these vaccine trials differ from the adult trials, what role children play in helping us reach herd immunity, and perhaps most importantly, when you'll be able to sign your kid up for a vaccine. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. You were the acting director of the CDC in 2009, CEO of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation nowadays. We see you, obviously, on television commenting about what's going on a lot. I'm just curious, just widening the aperture for a second... Do, do we need vaccines for kids?
2: We do. Uh, we definitely do. And, you know, it, it, it's been really interesting to me as we've talked about this issue of, of herd immunity. The number everyone's bantering around right now is 80%. But in those conversations, so rarely is anyone saying, and there's no vaccine right now for children. And children count. It's not 80% of the adult population that needs to be vaccinated. It's 80% of the population. Right. And so there are many reasons why I think it's very important that we have safe and effective vaccines for children against COVID.
1: I think the the, the conceit sort of is this idea that why it's so important to get children vaccinated is to help protect society as a whole entity, as opposed to
2: the individual could get sick, but the likelihood of a child getting sick is is pretty low, right? So when it comes to to COVID vaccine, yes, there's a societal value in vaccinating children, because uh, if we truly want to stop transmission, if we want to see community level protection, you need to vaccinate children. But I think that we really have to recognize um, how incomplete our knowledge is about the impact of COVID infection uh, on on everybody, including children. Hmm. Uh, you know, there, there is this uh, multi-system inflammatory syndrome that I know you've talked about in children. It's extremely rare, but it it is the latest reports from CDC are that you don't have to have severe COVID. In fact, most of the kids had mild COVID uh-huh. or no symptoms to to develop that. We also know that there are infections that that you get in childhood that can put you at risk for uh, consequences when you're an adult, and we won't know that for decades. You know, as a pediatrician, I would recommend it to the parents that I see for the interest of their child as well as the the broader interest of the of the family and society.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I, I think that, you know, when we heard about these vaccines, what we were sort of told about them initially uh, in terms of the data was that they were really good at preventing people from getting, you know, severely ill, requiring hospitalization or dying. So for these trials, for the children in particular, because they're at low risk of, of getting sick, do you have to also show that the vaccine prevents transmission in order to authorize it for kids?
2: I think what you need to be able to show in children is that the vaccine is, is safe, the vaccine is effective, and the standard for showing it's effective is different than it was for the initial trials in, in adults. So if you can show in, in children that they get the same antibody response and the early data is suggesting that they do, it's very likely that FDA would, would grant the approval based on just the level of those protective factors in, in kids and showing that it's safe. So when you
1: heard the the data coming out of Pfizer-BioNTech basically saying that their vaccine was, was eliciting, their, their language, 100% efficacy and robust antibody response in children 12 to 15, did that surprise you?
2: No, you know, with all these trials, I I I like to wait until FDA takes a look at it. I am always cautious of press releases from drug companies because I, I worry that a lot of that has to do with stock price uh, more than it has to do with scientific integrity. And so, you know, with the vaccine so far, with each one, I've said the same thing. You know, I look forward to seeing what the independent advisory committee the FDA has to say about this uh, because I trust them. I, I watch those hearings. I listen to the questions. And if they agree with the company analysis and feel it's safe and effective, I'm going to be all in. When,
1: when you think about this trial and possibly getting some of these results, how long then do you think we're talking here?
2: Well, I mean, if the data hold up, I think there's a good chance that we will have safe and effective vaccines for children 12 and up so that kids could be vaccinated for school this fall. So that's middle school and high school, which would be terrific. I think younger kids, it's going to be longer. I don't, I don't think that any of the companies have said they're on a trajectory to, to deliver for you know, elementary school children or younger uh, ahead of that. But it would, be, it would be great, given that the risk goes up with age, it would be great to have vaccines for middle school, for high school. We'll have them for college age kids for, for this fall. And that, that's a game changer. It really is. I
1: mean, and, and as you may remember, my, my kids are 12, 14, and 16, so we're right in this range. And they ask about it all the time. It's really interesting. I didn't think they'd be that interested, but I think that they are. And part of the reason they are is because for them, they see it as maybe a, an opportunity to do things they otherwise aren't being able to do. We'll see about that. We're going to have conversations about that as a family. But what 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 do you say? Let's say I we have a close family of uh, friends. You know, they have kids that are around my kid's age. The parents of those kids are vaccinated. My wife and I are vaccinated, but none of the kids are because the vaccines haven't been approved yet we want we want to be together uh maybe even uh, you know have a dinner party or what you know something like that where we're clearly going to be in close proximity. What about it?
2: That's one of those challenging challenging situations. if you look at the c d c guidance, you know fully vaccinated people can get together for small small gatherings, but the scenario where you're talking where they're Uh, a number of children who aren't in the same family who are coming together, the current recommendation would be, uh, no, you shouldn't do that without masks and and social distancing for those kids. And I think that that's right for where we are right now. And the reason I feel that way is that we're seeing a number of variants across the country. Uh, We're seeing some states, I'm here in New Jersey, and our numbers don't look very good. Not exactly clear why and so we've, we we kind of have this smoldering situation that we don't want to have blossom into something bigger and while children don't play the same role for covid that they do for something like flu where there really are such major transmitters they do play a role and and so i would be cautious
1: and and families just a family not not any other people outside the household traveling safely together again if parents are vaccinated but kids are not
2: yeah, I, the current recommendations would be not to travel unless everybody is, is fully vaccinated. The The thing about a pandemic is that it's a changing situation. And so I've been just blown away by how rapidly the nation is being vaccinated. And if we see this leads to ongoing declines and much lower levels than we're seeing, so that we're not seeing sixty, seventy thousand 70,000 cases of, of COVID a day, but we're under 10,000, then it's like, yeah, I think that should change the risk calculation of what you do and may allow people to to do more activities and travel and, and, and get together. But I think right now, until there's more vaccine out there, I wouldn't recommend that kind of travel.
1: Do you think that vaccines should be, ultimately, if they get approved or authorized for children, they should be mandatory, uh, for example, to attend school?
2: That's a good question. Their current system for childhood vaccination and, and school requirements is done at the state level. So what, what you'll see happen is that the advisory committee to the CDC will make a recommendation on that. And then states will decide on a state-by-state basis whether it's a requirement for, for school entry and then what kind of exemptions. Who's allowed to say, no way for, for my child? My expectation would be that if there are safe and effective vaccines for covid that the advisory committee to CDC would recommend that all children get those.
1: Right. I, I, I'm just wondering, if from, from your perspective, though, yeah, what would you recommend?
2: From my perspective, yes, in the way that other childhood vaccinations, most schools now require flu vaccination for, for children. I would put it into a, a similar category to that.
1: I think we'll leave it there, Rich. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time.
2: Thank you. I, I always love talking with you.
1: Now, as Dr. Besser said, we need to keep an eye out for the authorization of COVID 19 vaccines for kids aged 12 to 15, possibly as early as this fall. For younger kids, it's going to be a longer wait. Dr. Anthony Fauci said earlier this year that elementary age children probably won't be vaccinated until early 2022. But the good news is those trials now have already started. In the meantime, I have to say that it's still so important to make sure your children continue to wash their hands, wear masks, practice physical distancing. We know that there's more transmissible variants around now. They are less forgiving. What you could have gotten away with before, it's going to be harder to get away with going forward. So we got to make sure everyone, including children, are doing their part to reduce the spread of the virus. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back Monday. Thanks for listening. Coronavirus Fact vs. Fiction is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is executive producer. Zoe Saunders is the senior producer. This week's episodes were produced by Rachel Cohn, Emily Liu, Aaron Mathewson, Madeline Thompson, Nathan Miller, Jordan Gaspure, and Zachary St. Louis. Our medical writer is Andrea Kane. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And David Toledo is the team's production assistant. Special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seeley of CNN Health, as well as Felicia Patinkin, Ashley Lusk, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio.